0: in plays, that was her life my life was just a very typical um, non-christian young man of those years and uh, she came home one weekend and said i have become a christian and uh can i speak to you and i thought what do you mean you've become a christian i've never heard anybody say that before Um, and then uh, she said to me do you believe jesus rose from the dead and i said rather casually um he he rose on the third day didn't he uh, and she said that means he's alive and that just that sentence had a, a terrific impact on me he's alive um and then she explained what well, had never been explained to me before why he died uh, to take our guilt completely to take the punishment that we deserved that we might go free i'd never ever heard that before and i said why has no one ever told me this before and anyway that night uh, uh to my great surprise and completely unprepared for it uh, I, when she explained to me what it was to be a christian i knelt in my home with her and received christ and i was surprised i felt i felt wow it's happened it's real this, this is real i knew it was real and uh for myself uh, to be honest, my lifestyle, all my friends were very non-Christian. Our lifestyle was very non-Christian. Uh, from that time when I started going to church every Sunday morning, uh, but I I found it very difficult to pull out from all my friends that we had friendship with for, I don't know, five years, I guess, or maybe less. Um, very close friendship. Uh, Talked to the late in the night about anything and everything. Real buddies, very close. And I, I spoke to each one of them individually about becoming Christian. Uh, none of them wanted to, and corporately they would not talk about it together. Uh, and then one day, living, having lived like two lives, really, one I was in church on Sunday like a good boy, the rest of the time I was quite a bad boy, and I knew I was a Christian, I knew I was a bad Christian. Um, and one Sunday I was absolutely convicted that God wanted my life. And uh, it was quite a big... Uh, event for me that i thought god spoke to me through the preacher um he quoted a verse from galatians you did run well who hindered you that you're no longer obeying the truth that's a verse from galatians and uh, it just arrested me and i thought god said i want your life and i want it now and i won't speak to you about this again and that was alarming because uh, i thought if god doesn't speak to me where will i drift off to because my life was very bad And uh, I knew this was the truth, I just wasn't living it. And that night I made a commitment and gave myself to God and threw myself into church life. I was about 20 then and um, I tried to get to know how to live as a Christian. I went to a Baptist church and there was a good, terrific preacher, lovely. But gradually I had a longing to see church, to be honest, rather like this, where I could have the friendships because what i found was my my pre-christian friends were very close we'd share everything you know cigarettes drinks everything when you just were together talking about everything and anything went to church 700 members in this church and i didn't know anybody and uh, there was no intimacy it was great preaching but there wasn't like family and when i read the bible i see churches like family it's like you, you you're close to people and I thought, I used to be closer to my old friend. And here it was quite formal and difficult. And gradually, as God refreshed me, the fresh experiences of the Holy Spirit and so on, and we started meeting with people rather like this in homes, where uh, I had to put a suit on to go to church and a tie, that was how it was. And, uh, and uh, someone gave you a hymn book, and uh, a friend of mine used to say, you get, you get a religious throat when they give you the hymn book because i give you the hymn book and you say thank you very much and uh, and we went into the church and no one spoke you, you say you smile to somebody but you didn't don't speak in church and uh, it was very it was more like a library really you keep quiet in there and uh and i, I longed for the comradeship that i'd like i'd lost. i lost all my friends I, I wanted to have friendship i wanted a comradeship and when we started meeting in homes um, we began to find this kind of friendship and it's, there was no kind of back row you're all in the room together and uh, mm. like christian name terms and we're friends and and the possibility of real relationships not just religious mm. kind of, but real friendship and talking and sharing and mm. helping one another through and we began a new kind of church life with uh, uh, more intimacy uh, the presence of god in a way that actually Although when the guy preached in the big Baptist church, it was wonderful, was a terrific preacher, but the rest of it was all rather kind of just formal preliminaries. Um, and then we began to be together as friends and share together and pray for one another. And something ha- began to happen, first just in one little home. And then uh, for me, I was going to one home and helping people start. And I used to visit this place and it grew and grew and grew. And then a couple from there moved to another town and gathered a little group. Would you come to our home as well? And beginning to go to uh, uh, one or two homes around the county where I lived. And uh, more and more of these, initially, house churches. It wasn't because we had a particular theology of house church. We just, that was the place we could do it. We could meet and be informal and with an open Bible and worshipping. And that just began to grow until... Uh, I was travelling to about eight different towns all within an hour's drive from home and uh, gradually a group uh, of churches grew and uh, out from that you can read the story in the, in the book there gradually um, a new a new kind of church life developed it was orthodox it was biblical perfectly uh, orthodox <coughs> Christianity uh, but with a, a fresh approach a fresh life together uh, wholeheartedness and an ambition to make jesus known and start new churches and that's that all started back in about the 1970s so we'd be going for a long time um, and gradually more and more of these churches started uh, and uh, first of all in the south of england where we were and then gradually uh, growing further and further afield and we began to have big summer camps and uh, big celebrations as we called them and First of all, we hired the town hall in Brighton, which was the nearest big town, and we we gathered a thousand people. began to gather in their crowds. It began to get some profile, and uh, people heard about this. Hey, what's going on here? And sometimes people were not too happy that we were starting new churches, but in the end, uh, God blessed, and in a, and and now we're part of the scene in the UK and uh, and across the world. And I think we're in about eighty different nations now. And there's a lot of friendship and a lot of meeting with one another in different nations. It's extraordinary how we find that happening. But it's been a, a, a great journey. Now, at one time, we were almost exclusively on the South and beginning to feel, should we not be on a, an international mission? And we actually friends with some people in the Netherlands and also into France somewhat and thought, should we get involved? And... Uh, but we were not going from the south into the uk much and uh, i was praying with a group of uh people just praying about things and i saw in my mind i saw a vision of the southeast of england uh on a map and superimposed over it uh, was a bow and an arrow pointing out across to the continent and beyond and uh the bow was being pulled back as far as London on the map.
1: Mm.
0: And um, that's about as far as we were going at that time. We would planted some churches into London and so on. And, and I, I, I thought God said to me, if you pull the bow back only as far as London, uh, if you pull the arrow back, it's not going to go very far. Mm. You need to pull right back across the map, right across mm. the nation, not just for the sake of the UK, but for energy. To go and plant churches across the nations and uh, so from that t- time on we felt hey let's let's go further afield and there was a bit of an economic crisis in the south at that time and uh, i asked one of the pastors would you find out because people were moving from london into the nation or for economic reasons and uh, i said would you ask the pastors if people are moving from them where are they going is there any particular place uh, because we would not done anything like this before. And uh, the guy did the research and came back and said, they seem to be moving to Manchester, the main place in the north. And he said, well, I've been doing the research. I feel God spoke it to me. I should move to Manchester.
1: Yeah.
0: And people began to move across the country. And our numbers began to grow. And our resources began to grow. And then people started moving and going. And so now a number of people have have gone from the uk but then on we have gone on from nation to nation and so people you know we were in madrid recently with a church a guy who went uh, to madrid with his family to plant a church there's guys in stockholm in berlin in uh, paris in lyon in lille uh, montpellier uh, they're just gone people have just got up and gone, gone mm-hmm. with their fact to start and little churches that have grown into bigger churches and some of those churches we started in England, which started in homes like this, uh, are meeting now in warehouses. So as house churches, they're now warehouse churches. <laughs> and uh, that it's, it's grown quite substantially and teams have grown and uh, people have, have gone. That's, that's how we got started, a very uh, brief account of it. And there's a lot of friendship, a lot of family feel. Uh, we've, we've um, As I say, our, 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 our faith is a biblical faith. Uh, welcoming of the holy spirit's presence has been a big deal for us and being friends in an in in informal way is a huge value to us so i hope that might be of some interest to you if you want more any more detail you can follow the, uh, the book through one of them's about the values the others about the story and that that might be of some interest to you so i want to speak to you from romans and chapter five as a verse i want to uh, underline and then um I won't read the whole if you know uh, reading the apostle paul and maybe particularly in romans he he kind of keeps building on argument and in view of this therefore this and in view of that therefore it's quite it's difficult to interrupt him uh, as he keeps building a case and in romans chapter five he's making the case of the distinction between what we were in Adam is his phrase, the natural man and what we are in Christ and romans five keeps on comparing and contrasting, so i won't read the whole chapter as it were, but we'll just read uh, from verse just one verse verse seventeen romans five seventeen where it says in the translation i 'm reading, if by the transgression of one he's talking about adam there, if by adam's sin effectively, if by the transgression of one death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one jesus christ so the results of adam's sin are pretty disastrous the results of jesus obedience are wonderful let's just pray and then uh, we'll get into it father thank you so much lord you're the name above all names we honor you together we love to Mm. sing your praise Mm. we thank you that you're the light that's come into our darkness and we we welcome you individually we welcome you together lord Mm. we welcome you now and we ask father for the holy spirit to be our teacher so please come holy spirit Mm. please anoint us to hear to understand to benefit from and do us good lord in and through your word we pray father we're eager eager to feed on your word feed on your presence lord as we've been meditating knowing that river of god coming into our lives and doing us good lord so father be our teacher we pray we ask it lord in jesus name amen amen so it says that we Reign in life. This is a description of what it is to be a Christian. We're ra- Do you mind if I stand? I don't want to be formal, yeah, but I could probably see you more at the back and I'll be a bit more relaxed. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Reigning in life is kind of vivid phrase. It's rather rich, isn't it, to think that, that's, a, that's supposed to be the Christian experience with reigning in life. Uh, it sounds rather wonderful. Um, it doesn't stand alone. In the New Testament, the other phrases it says that things like this: "We are more than conquerors," and not just not just conquering, but more than conquerors. Yeah. Uh, and again, it says uh, he always leads us in triumph, yeah. in Christ. So, I mean, these are very vivid phrases to describe what it is to be a Christian, reigning in life, more than a conqueror, uh, always in victory. Think, wow! Uh, and sometimes you stop and think uh, and think, if only actually. Um, I wish I was uh, and sometimes you go to a conference maybe and you put aside other, other things you're focusing on the preaching and upon the presence of God and maybe here's some really outstanding teaching and, and something in you says yes Lord I want more please can I do better than this I, this isn't what I want to be I don't feel reigning in life describes me and, and, and a, a fresh ambition is stirred. it's always good when you get fresh motivation it's, it's a blessing from God when you, you feel that and uh, maybe at the end of the year you know, come to the end of a year and you, you, you get yourself a new diary you haven't messed anything up in it yet and uh, <laughs> you kind of look back and say Lord I'm sorry about last year uh, I will do better I want, I want to do better and, and, and often that kind of that motivation to do better comes to us from one way or another and, and really it's very important that we know what's the next step then because sometimes we, we kind of trip ourselves up when we don't read the small print. And uh, we think, I'm going to reign in life. And we what say, what should I do to reign in life? Well, I think, I think maybe, maybe I'll set my alarm clock back uh, earlier in the morning. I'll pray longer. I'll read more of my Bible. I'll read my whole Bible through in a year. I mean, some people set themselves to do that. Uh, I, I read, one guy said, "I'm going to witness to one person every day." It's one of the things he set himself to do, and I remember him very vividly. He said, "One night I'm going to bed. I'm kind of exhausted. I'm putting my head on the pillow, and I thought, I haven't witnessed to anybody today." So he dressed again and running down the streets trying to find someone to witness to because it was these are the things he'd set himself to do. I will set myself to do these things, and then I'll reign in life. It's like. If I can only set myself some rules and live by them, I'll reign in life. Now, that's not what the verse says, but it's often the way we think. I'll I'll set myself some rules, then I'll reign in life. And Paul says in Galatians, You who be justified by law have fallen away from grace. If if you're trying to justify yourself by rule-keeping, law-keeping, you've fallen away from grace. Now it's interesting, if you ever hear that phrase, fallen from grace, it tends to be used of someone who's a backslider. You know, do they come to... No, I think they don't come to church anymore. They've fallen from grace. It's like they've backslidden. But Paul, doesn't, who invented the phrase, doesn't use it that way. He uses it this way. If you're trying to please God by r- rule-keeping, you've fallen from grace. You've missed the point. Now, that's, that's why he writes what he does. And in fact, that's what he wrote to the Galatians. Now, it's just interesting to think, what happened in Galatia? Why did Paul write that? Well, the letter to the Galatians in our Bibles is Paul's angriest letter. Right, mm-hmm. He says, Well, oh, you fools? It's not a pleasant way to write someone. You fools who has bewitched you. Mm-hmm. And what had happened? What had happened at Galatia was Paul had gone there, He had preached the gospel there was a lovely church formed and you see in galatians chapter three there were miracles happening among them There were you know a pumping church was going well and paul being an apostle he'd started the church he'd laid the foundation there he'd established it and he's going on to do it again in another town that's the nature of his calling He's, he's an apostle he's going to go and do it again and when he moved out from galatia what happened, as we read the story in the Bible, is that the Judaizers moved in behind him. Who were the Judaizers? Well, they're Christians with a Jewish background. And they hadn't quite grasped the distinction between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. So they came in among these Gentile believers. Galatia was essentially a Gentile city who'd received Christ. They'd become Christians. They were full of the Spirit. They were a wonderful community. And they came in and effectively said, hey, we're so glad that you Gentiles have received our Messiah. Welcome. Well done. Welcome. Uh, our Old Testament prophets told us that the Gentiles would come. It's right there throughout the Old Testament. You've come. Welcome. Hey, it's wonderful. you found our Messiah. Um, but we've known him for centuries. Um, and if you really want to make sure you're right with God, uh, you really should, um, don't eat that kind of food, Uh, but do keep the feast days, and you must keep the Sabbath, and really, you ought to be circumcised. In effect, what they're saying is look, okay, so you've received the Messiah, but if you want to make sure you're really right with God, uh, there's all this other stuff you need to do to make sure all is well. In other words, to make sure that you're safe and secure, there's all this stuff you need to add and paul hears that this has happened when well, he'd already left them full of the presence of god already enjoying the love of jesus already home if you like in the presence of god and their confidence is being undermined and they're, they're losing their confidence their certainty because they're being told you must do these other things to make sure you're all right uh, and that's when paul writes as you fools who's bewitching you now To be honest we don't often get that in our modern world we don't necessarily tell you must do this you must do that no one told me i should be circumcised or anything like that but when when i became a christian actually i was told this you must have a quiet time i said what's that that sounds a bit quaint no you must do it you must read your bible every day you must pray every day Uh, and they and, and they said to me um i'm really um you have to wear that you should wear don't wear those sort of clothes and uh you shouldn't really do your hair like that it's like that was the, the modern equivalent of these things you have to add all these things you have to add all these things to make sure you're all right uh, and so you know you hear the good news oh thank you thank you I, i've become a christian how oh, wonderful oh good you're a christian yes isn't it wonderful well don't forget you've got to do this okay got it and you've got to do this. Uh, okay, got it. And you mustn't forget to do this. Okay, got it. And don't forget, you've got. Okay, thank you. I feel so wonderfully released <laughs> by the gospel. And you feel, what happened? Did I just pick up a load of stuff, or did I get set free by the gospel? And we get kind of confused. And and the apostle, the apostle Paul says, that Christ is the end of the law. Says in Romans chapter ten, verse four, Christ. It's the end of the law to everyone who believes. And he says in Romans 6, you're not under law, you're under Christ. You're not under law. You saying, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you're not under law. Didn't Jesus say the law will never pass away? So, Jesus said the law will never pass away, and Paul says you're not under law. You think, who's right? it sounds like they're saying something the opposite to one another so what's the what's the answer uh, if i was to ask for a show of hands which i won't uh, if i was to ask how many of us here think christians are under the law and how many think christians are not under the law i wonder how comfortable we would feel where, where do we stand on that jesus said it will never pass away paul says we're not under it where are we? Well, if, if you just have your Bible still open, or if you want to look there, we'll turn to chapter seven and just read the first few verses. Because in Romans seven, Paul sets out, I think, in probably the most succinct way I mean, the whole of Galatians is about that, in other places in the New Testament, but here, just in a few verses, he sets out our relationship, and it's very key to our reigning in life. It's very key because it says that through the abundance of grace that we reign in life and the free gift of righteousness. That's what I read in Romans five seventeen. So let me just read the first half dozen verses of Romans 7. Don't you know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. That sounds pretty thorough, actually. Yes. Then he uses this illustration. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law so that she's not an adulteress, though she's joined to another man. Therefore, my brothers, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Verse 6. Now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. So what is he saying? He's using the illustration of marriage. He's effectively saying that the law really like our husband and we're married to him and he tells us what we have to do he tells us the rules of this relationship you should not do this you should not do this you should not do that he's our husband he has authority over us it says here as long as we shall live he's got that relationship with us Uh, uh, and to be honest you can't argue with this law because it's good and that you can say oh i disagree no but he's, he's got this authority uh, and really it's, it's good law but there's something about it that makes you feel captive that makes you feel locked in that that I, I, and actually this husband who's who's always right you know it's been married to a husband's always right and, and that has a one thing i'll come back to later the devil gets in on this right so the devil is called the accuser of the brothers satan means accuser that's what the word means and if you, you read in the book of revelation it says satan accuses us day and night in other words that's i would say that satan's main weapon against christians is accusation he doesn't say he does everything anything else day and night it's like his incessant attack on christians is telling us we're no good. You're no good. You're a bad Christian. He he bombards us with accusation. That's why we're told to put on the armor of God, put up the shield, because he will attack you, telling you how poor your Christianity is. He will get at you. So he gets behind this. Okay, we'll come back to that later. But we have this perfect husband who has holy requirements, which we find challenging. We can't argue because he's right. But something else about this husband, he never lifts a finger to help. All right? So I do want to see too many of you saying, I think he's drawing about you there. It's like, he's always right, he expects you to obey, but he never actually helps you. This, the husband never helps you. He just wants perfect obedience. Uh, and that's the relationship we're in. And we think, boy, if only I could get rid of this husband. But Jesus said this husband's never gonna die. <laughs> so you're married to a perfect husband who always finds fault with you and he's never gonna help you, but he wants you to live to a stand and he's never gonna die. You're permanently and fixed. Right? So that's what wonderful to be a Christian that you're fixed. But then, amazingly, in a way we would never expect in verse four, Paul tells us the answer. When he says this. Therefore, my brothers, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. Right, through your relationship with Christ, through the body of Christ, through your being in Christ now. That is Paul's favourite phrase for a, word, for a Christian. You know, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament, the word Christian. But the words in Christ appear many, many times. If you're in Christ, in him, in whom, you'll find it's our relationship with Jesus is what makes us Christians. And Paul is saying this, look, you were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. What does that mean? It means this, Jesus stood in our place and he had two relationships with the law. The first one was this, perfect obedience. He was innocent. The Bible calls him innocent. Jesus said at the end, the devil's coming, he's got nothing on me. That's quite a statement. He says wh- he actually challenges people, which one of you can convince me of sin? He was holy, perfect, innocent. He was an innocent sacrifice, as it happened. He was perfect, the Bible calls him innocent. So that was his first relationship with the law: perfect obedience to the Lord. Then when it comes to the cross, the Bible says this, god made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that's an incredible statement one theologian said it's the most profound statement of the gospel in the bible god made him who knew no sin to be sin for us Mm. so he became the personification of sin it's like god put all our sin on him he became sin he was he was sin personified. He became sin for us. And God judged Christ in our place. He the law was utterly vindicated. God's holy righteousness is utterly vindicated. Sin was dealt with ruthlessly. Jesus bore it. He died to sin once for all. And he's done it for all time. The price is fully paid. Jesus took it all in our place praise his wonderful name he took our guilt he took our shame he took the punishment yeah. and when he died to sin or died to law that was the end of his relationship with law. it's all over it's finished he said from the cross it is finished the greek word means accomplished it is fulfilled i have done it yeah. i have fulfilled the law i have fulfilled the standard i have paid the price you died to sin once for all so it's not that listen it's so important to get this it's not that the law has died jesus said the law will never die it is that we who are in christ have died to the law when jesus died to the law it says here we were made to die to the law through the body of christ so the law is still speaking paul says in timothy the law is good provided you use it lawfully knowing it's not for the righteous but for sinners so the law god's holy standard is continued there is still there but the christian no longer has that relationship he has died to the law if we just look at verse six it says now you have been released from the law having died to that by which you were bound so you now serve in newness of the spirit not oldness of the letter we have been discharged a very great preacher called Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones in the UK uses this illustration. He said it's like a guy doing national service. He's in the army uh, for maybe a couple of years, and he you know just does whatever the sergeant says. Left, right, left, right, turn here, do that. You know, just whatever he says, you do it. And, and you're you're then discharged. Your time is over. You're finished. And he says, imagine that soldier, and uh, he's no longer involved he's discharged and he says imagine him walking across the parade ground he's got no tie on he's got a jacket over his shoulder and the sergeant turns the corner and there's such a soldier sergeant they says, says, oh, says, you think hey wait a minute i'm discharged it's like he can't touch me i'm out of here and he said you can imagine him waging, waving to the sergeant who can you're no longer under his authority you are Discharged, you're out. That's what this verse is saying. Yeah. You are discharged from the law. That's what this is saying. We have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. So that relationship is over. That's what the Bible plainly says. Okay, we've died to the law. But go back again to verse 4. It says, You were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that, so that, what? You can run free? Well, not quite. So that, you could be joined to another now it's still using marriage language so you've died to that husband in order that it might be joined to which one to one who was raised from the dead well that's jesus right so now i've got a new husband that's what this verse is plainly saying the law is no longer my husband this overbearing if you like fault finding correct never helping I have died to that husband in order that, says here, I might be joined to this new husband in order, it says this, that you might be bear fruit for God. Now, bearing fruit has never been mentioned before. Your relationship with your old husband, the law, did not make you bear fruit. <coughs> He didn't make you bear fruit. He told you the requirements, he told you the standards, he told you the laws, but he didn't make you bear fruit. In fact, Paul says in Galatians and chapter three and verse twenty-one, very important verse, he says this if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been by the law.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: See if if the law could impart life, yeah well then righteousness would come by the law if the law had the ability to do that it's like let's get into all the schools let's just go let's get among those teenagers you shall not lie you shall not steal let's tell them just tell them we can change everybody just go and tell them the law and change everybody and paul says no the law doesn't impart any life the law is like an impotent husband he doesn't impart life he doesn't make you bear fruit he can't impart anything. He got, hasn't got that ability. He can tell you the standard, but he doesn't impart anything. Now we've died to the Lord that we might be joined to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit. Now we've found a husband who's life imparting. We've found a potent husband. He says things like this. My love I pour out in your heart. Romans 5, he pours out his heart. My peace I give to you. My joy I give it to you. Now, this husband is a life imparting husband. We are joined to a husband who changes us from the inside, beloved. No longer letter which kills, but spirit that gives life. Mm. Now, a lot of Christians, dear friends, get confused, and, and their Christian life lacks peace and joy because they keep confusing where they stand in relation to how I relate to God. It's through this rule, these rules, I have to keep. Or is it through this husband who wants to give me new life? And we kind of, you sometimes ask a Christian, how are you getting on? And they sometimes say, a bit up and down, a bit up and down. I think it's not so much up and down, it's kind of husband to husband. And, And so maybe sometimes we're not doing very well. We feel, I'm a bit backslidden, I wish I was doing better. I know what I'll do, I'll set myself some rules to live by. I, and, and so i will do this i'll do that i'll try hard I'll try, and it's and it's almost like saying to you to your husband, i'm so sorry it's not what it. I, I thought it would be i'll tell you what i'll really develop my relationship with my old husband that'll keep you happy won't it <laughs> <laughs> you think about it it's crazy eh you see jesus said i am the way i don't need a way to the way yes i don't need to qualify myself to come to this wonderful life-giving saviour jesus has dealt with all that he's dealt with it. it's finished it's, it is finished it's over a christian is not under law the bible plainly says we're not under law but we are joined to a new husband who wants to impart life to us so jesus says this abide in me and i in you and you'll bear much fruit mm-hmm. so how do we live this life well we keep very close to our new husband we enjoy this love from him we experience his joy his peace we worship him we we fellowship with him and he changes us from the inside that's what happens to us we're no longer married to a legal system that you have to do to be justified as Paul says this in Philippians said the tragedy of his contemporaries was that they were going around trying to establish their righteousness based on law so we're trying to do that instead of coming and receiving the righteousness that is a gift from god and we are taught we reign in life through the abundance of grace not through law you see law will always in fact paul if we had time to develop it more it says elsewhere in romans the law actually it brings about reaction in us the law it makes you it provokes you Sometimes you see in England, you see a pretty garden, you know, a public garden, and you think, that's lovely, these flowers are pretty, that lawn's pretty. And then it says, keep off the grass. And something inside you thinks, whose grass is it anyway? <laughs> There's something about the law, Paul says, that provokes sin. It's like saying to your kids, I'm just going out, Johnny. I've just, booked, I've just cooked those cakes. Don't touch them while I'm out. It's like, the cakes? You know, that. It's something about law, the Bible says, that provokes reaction it actually does that and so now that we've died to that way of relating to god that sense of if only i can do enough and you see what can happen is like i said earlier i was told you must read the bible you say well terry don't you read the bible anymore i read the bible a lot but i don't do the bible i don't read the bible to impress god see if you do it like a rule you have to keep it's like, oh, I forgot to do it today. Uh, or, hey, I've done 20 minutes. Point to that. Hey, hey, 20 minutes this morning. I read three chapters. Good, eh? You know, it's like, I'm trying to impress God. I don't have to. I'm hidden in one who's already impressed him.
1: Yes.
0: So I don't read the Bible to impress God. I read the Bible because there's so much great stuff in it. And I enjoy it. I find it opens my eyes to more and more things i don't pray and say lord hey on 20 minutes this morning i really prayed. do i get points for that i don't pray to get points okay I, I pray to get answers yes, mm. yeah. you see the, the more we think like it's something you have to do you kind of short circuit the whole point you're doing it to might get merit mm. you're going to impress what maybe to impress other people yeah. it's missing the point we don't we don't relate to god like that anymore Jesus has changed everything. That yeah. so we've died to that. It's, no, it's, it's old covenant, we are in the new covenant. And the new covenant says, No, we join to him and we reign in life, we're told, through this abundance of grace. Not law, we reign, we reign in life because, hey, that law thing's finished. That sense of accusation which Satan gets behind, the accuser gets behind it and, and tries to bombard us and tries to tell us how awful we are. We we try and overcome that by doing more. If I could do more, I can get rid of that. But that's not the way. We get free by saying, thank you, Jesus, you took my guilt. Thank you for your love. And and you get close to Jesus. You enjoy Jesus. And he produces in you love and joy and peace through relating to him because he's a life-imparting husband. We reign in life, it says, through the abundance of grace, and one more phrase, The free gift of righteousness it's a gift god gives us righteousness as a gift it's not something we have to work for it's something that he gives us freely he took our guilt he gives us his righteousness we reign in life through this free gift of righteousness that he has given us if if we don't if we don't get hold of that we are forever trying Maybe to produce uh, our own righteousness. It's like it's like we, we kind of get down to pray. If I could, maybe I could imagine. I, 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 maybe I'm, I'm one of the wives here. If I could confess I, I, I'll pretend to be one of the wives here. So tomorrow morning, having heard this word tonight, saying, "Thank you, Lord, I am righteous. I am righteous." Tomorrow morning, I get down to pray, and I think, "Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray bless uh, bless my husband uh, at work today." Um, Lord, just let His light shine, and make Him a blessing, Lord. Oh Lord, Jesus, I really—I just feel He's so tired lately. I—I'd love to—I'd love to be a blessing to Him. I'd love to—I don't know. Just—I I think He's got weary of late. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll go and buy. I'll, I'll buy. Him. I know what He'd love. i would love a steak. I'll go and buy a steak, and I'll surprise Him. Oh, we're supposed to be praying, wasn't I? Oh, pray. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Oh, Lord, sorry, sorry, I'm praying. What are we praying? About? Oh yes, we're having the missionary thing this weekend. Uh, the missionaries are coming to the church. They're going to talk about what they're doing. We're having the missionary supper. Yes, of course. Lord Jesus, bless the missionary supper. Uh, uh, bless the missionaries as they come and tell us what they're doing uh, uh, there overseas. Tell us what. Uh, look, bless the supper. Oh, I said the supper. I said I'd do that. I said I'd do the salad, and I haven't even got the salad. I, oh my word! But I i like, go to the salad. I'll go to the shop. Oh yeah, I could get the salad the I'm same time as I'm getting the steak. And I got bless my husband, and you see, and then and, he, and then Satan comes, he says, "Oh mighty woman of intercession, are you prevailing in the heavenlies?" He says, "I can't pray for toffee. I'm useless." My mind goes out the window. I'm a hopeless Christian, all right? So last night, I'm happy. This morning, I'm useless. Because that's, what, that's how Satan gets to us. You're useless. You can't pray. Your brain goes out the window. You're, okay, I'll get to my Bible reading. Where, where was I? I was reading through, uh, I think I was in Leviticus, wasn't I? I got to uh, Leviticus and uh, where was I? I was chapter 4, I think I got to. And uh, yes, I remember, yes, my, my reading this morning... Uh, yes, and the high priest uh, <laughs> shall uh, take the, uh, the 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 lamb, and uh, he will remove all the fat of the of oh, the sin offering and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver which you should remove with the kidneys. When you stop and then Satan comes and says, Getting a lot out of it, are you? And you say, I don't understand the stick. You say, and then you say this I am a terrible <laughs> Christian see this is what happens it. this is what happens I can't pray because my brain goes out the window I don't understand the Bible I am a useless Christian that, that's what happens say, I must try hard, I must do this. and so we're, we're back in this kind of works orientated because Satan has cleverly tricked us whereas no no you put on the breastplate of righteousness that's what it says in Ephesians 6 you know, it's a gift god's given us his righteousness i'm not trying to establish my own righteousness i want to read the bible it's difficult sometimes i happen to be going through the myself at the moment it's tough it's tough all right i'm finding some stuff there but it's tough it's difficult i think oh god what's this all about There are tif- difficult difficult push up i don't that's not my standing before god no. i want the best i can get of my bible of course i do but that's not how i relate to god i relate to god through jesus his priceless obedience, his perfect submission to the Father's will, his taking all the guilt, all the shame. I go free because of Jesus. That's why we make so much about Jesus. It's not how impressive I have been. That's That's the gospel. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. We don't try and build up something to impress God. It's done. Yeah, jesus yes, hallelujah. Oh. and we don't pray to say lord I, you know we i have a little piece of paper by myself because i'm like anybody my brain goes off so i write the thing down I mean, <laughs> i'll come back to that later uh, because your brain does get muddled and the bible itself says we don't know how to pray as we ought mm. we need the holy spirit's help and we gradually grow in it mm. but we don't keep on trying to establish our own righteousness mm. in fact I, I i was praying i was praying once and what I was saying, I thought God reminded me of that Old Testament story of when um, Jacob is coming to his ancient father, Isaac, who by this time has grown blind. Do you remember that story? Jacob puts on Esau's clothing, because Esau was the son that Isaac loved. He loved Esau and so he put on Esau's clothes, Esau's hunting, he puts on his clothes, he puts on skins around his neck and around his hands and he, he's a crook really but he's coming to his father hoping the father will believe this is his beloved son and I was just coming to God to pray one day and that, that I felt God just reminded me of that story and I felt God said to me, don't fear you see, Jacob probably was scared his father would realise Hey, what are you doing in there? Get up, you Jacob. He's trying to pretend he's the son that the father loves. And the book of Ephesians chapter one says we are accepted in the son that he loves. He's clothed us in the son that he loves. And I thought God says to me, "Don't fear. I'll find you hidden in the son that I love. I placed you in the son that I love." And Ephesians one says we're accepted in the son that he loves and we are blessed with all spiritual blessings and that's why we receive the holy spirit and all the gifts of the spirit not because we're special or we're holy or, or it's because we're hidden in this perfect son and from now on we're always seen in this perfect son we're accepted in the beloved god sees us in the son that he loves he celebrates it. he did he, he arranged the whole deal that's how he saved us he gave us another righteousness that's how we reign in life we reign in life, we don't go back again to try to establish our own righteousness we celebrate what God has done for us in Christ, we enjoy this love and we find he does put into our hearts love and peace and joy and patience and all these lovely fruits start growing in us through our relationship with Jesus by abiding in him keeping close to him he reproduces his life inside us he changes us from one degree of glory to another. He keeps on doing that as we <coughs> enjoy his love and receive his love. And so he gives us righteousness as a gift. He clothed us. Even in the Old Testament, we're told that they had to bring their lamb to the priests. This, I believe, again, is to help us understand. So when they brought their lamb to the priests, they had to present their lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb. That's one of the things you read in Leviticus. It mustn't be blind. It mustn't have a broken limb. It mustn't be diseased. I was that yesterday. You don't bring something, oh, that lamb will do. We don't want that one. It's messed up. No, it has to be a perfect lamb. And so when you bring your lamb to the priest and you present your lamb to the priest, you're not thinking, I hope he doesn't notice my coat's all torn here. I hope he doesn't notice I've got all mud. On here, we're not even looking at you, we're looking at the lamb. Yeah, yeah. He presents the lamb to the priest, and the priest takes the lamb. All eyes are on the lamb,
1: yeah. And, and he
0: will look any broken limbs, is it blind, is it disease? And the priest will look at the lamb and, and just look, is the lamb going to make it? And then he will say these words actually, I find no fault in it. I'm accepted because I've got a perfect lamb. Yeah. That's how it is for us. We're accepted because we've got a perfect lamb. That's that. We reign in life through the abundance of grace, not law, and the free gift, the free gift of righteousness. This, uh, the spotless lamb is accredited to my account. So we walk free. We walk free. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he testified one day that he saw a vision interesting he's a an old puritan he saw a vision and he said i i I saw christ as my righteousness i realized in that moment it didn't depend on how i'm feeling he said he said if i feel down i can't take away from that righteousness if i feel good i can't add to that righteousness but jesus is my righteousness and he's the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. So, beloved, when I wake tomorrow morning, I'm righteous before I start. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If I sleep through my quiet time, I'm still righteous.
1: Yeah.
0: So we've just got no. I say, yeah, it's His righteousness. It's unchanging, and it says in Hebrews, it says, all the priests of the Old Testament, they could never sit down because they never finished offering sacrifices. You know, they offer one, then they offer another one. And they, it says in Hebrews, it makes this contrast, it's the, they never sat down. But Jesus, it says, having offered one sacrifice, mm. sat down, having perfected for all time those who believe. He's perfected us for all time. He can, he's done his job. He can sit down. He's the priest who can sit down. He's done. We've been perfected for all time. God has done it. He's declared as righteous as a gift. It's a finished work. So, beloved, reigning in life is something, it says here in Romans 5, it's kind of basic to us. We reign in life through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, Romans 5:17. That's how we do it. And we don't go, keep going back to the law because we've died to the law. That's that, that over. I'm not under law anymore. I never think of that law like that. I'm not under the law anymore. I can read the, some of the standards, thinking mm, that's interesting. that's probably quite good, but I'm not under it anymore. I'm not. That's not my way to God. Jesus is the way. He's the He's the way to God. He's the one who's saved us. He's made us new creatures. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All has passed away. It's so beloved. It's ever so important as we're building church here together. What are the characteristics of? The kind of church we're trying to build is one that is truly biblical and doesn't get confused. We're not vulnerable to, uh, am, I, am I keeping this up or not? No, no. no. We, we've got a new life. God has given us a new way. Jesus is the way. Now, there's more we can say. Romans 6 gives us even more to say. But this is a vital bottom line for us. It's utterly crucial because we, we we are not we haven't picked up a religion that's given us a heavy burden jesus said to the pharisees and scribes he said you you lay heavy burdens on the people and don't lift one finger to take the burden off them then he said come to me i'll give you rest take my yoke upon you learn of me i'm meek and lowly of heart you'll find rest for yourself so the gospel is a gospel that we can rest in declared righteous before we start. Motivated by God to live a new kind of life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live that life, no longer the letter which kills, but the Spirit that gives life in a new relationship. So we really can't reign in life, we don't go back to that old way. So let me encourage you to take that to yourself, enjoy that reality. I know for myself, uh, when I I saw, I use this language, I saw the grace of God. I was already a pastor. I mean, I, I, think, I think when I was born again, I was, as I said, I was terribly backslidden. And then, I, and then I tried to be much more wholehearted. And then later, got filled with the Spirit. And, and I, was, I was serving God as a pastor. I was, I was working hard at it. And, and I think, without realising it, I'd become quite legalistic in an endeavour to get it right this time trying to you know trying hard trying hard and when I saw grace and I saw the biblical nature of it when I saw it it was like getting born again again <laughs> I thought oh my word this is so wonderful this is so releasing mm-hmm. I was preaching once uh, in a place called Constantia in Cape Town it was a hugely hot day uh, incredible temperature it was in a tent and people wore she- t-shirts and shorts and, and I and preached some of these things and at the end, I saw this couple coming towards me. There's a very great big Afrikaans guy and his wife next to him. And they're walking towards me and she's making a beeline to me. And she's wearing a navy blue suit and a hat and gloves. I, I mean, it's incredibly hot. I think, wow. And she came to me, and said, is what you said true? I said, but we've just looked at it verse by verse. It's the Bible. She said, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. And, and we just prayed together for a moment and just like, come on, let's just believe this, it's what it says. And I was down there again a year later and I saw this, I recognized this guy, he's <laughs> a big guy, this Afrikaans guy moving through the crowd, he's a big smiley man, and, and he walked and his wife was kind of bouncing along by him. And he said to me, it's like I've got a new wife. <laughs> she'd thrown off this kind of heavy way of relating to God mm-hmm. and I would say I would say within what this family we call New Frontiers this is a truth that we've really celebrated yeah. and, and enjoyed as being so kind of fundamental mm-hmm. to the gospel
1: yeah.
0: and I, I know yeah. I, I, it's truth that's there for anyone to read but sometimes people get confused and get go back to a way that doesn't bring peace and joy and I think it's so important that we understand this that we get to grips with this we take what it's saying that God has freed us it is a gospel, it's good news yeah. <laughs> it says back in Isaiah rise, shine, put on your beautiful garments mm. shake off the dust I think that's a prophetic word to actually the church at large today where often, mm. often there's that heaviness sometimes people are taught to pray and, and, and they say well when you pray start with confession some people say "You know, it kind of clears the decks before you start Confess your sins first. And it sounds kind of, you know, that's good, clear the decks first. I think it's a terrible mistake. Because Jesus said, when you pray, and he's talking to his apostles, his leading guys, they said, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You don't come saying, I'm so sorry for this. And some Christians, they're very sin centered in their relationship with God. And they're praying, it's like, you start with confession, which is a, is a terrible mistake. It's like, Lord, I'm so sorry for this. And then Satan, the accuser of the brothers, comes along and says, and that. Oh, yeah, and that too, and It's like you take a, a spade and dig a hole and jump in. And that's why people hate prayer. They hate prayer because they think, oh, it's so bad. And the best thing you can do is get back to ground level again. Because you jumped in a hole and dug a deeper hole and gave Satan loads of room. Now, if you do use the Lord's Prayer, which actually happens I use as a structure, I start, Father, hallowed be your name. I sing, I celebrate, I worship him. for what he's done for us. The sort of songs we've been singing here. you know, great, you're wonderful, Jesus. Now, you pray the Lord's Prayer. You will come to and forgive us our trespasses. It's in there. It's not predominant. It's not central. It's like, Lord, if there's anything I've done, please forgive me. If, if there's anything that I've failed you and please speak, we don't get casual we don't get indifferent we want a good conscience with God, yeah. but we're not constantly taken up with it's rather like when Jesus was washing their feet mm. and he came to Simon Peter and Peter says you're not washing my feet mm. he said oh, I, must wash your, I must wash your feet or you've no part. wash me all over <laughs> And Peter goes like this don't know." and washed me all over he said you're clean already you're clean it's just your feet need washing and we need to hear this God has declared us righteous as a gift we just need a tender conscience have I I walked anywhere that I shouldn't have done
1: Mm.
0: is there anything I said that I need forgiveness for have I fallen short so we keep a clean conscience before God but we're not sin aware all the time. We're not preoccupied with, with sin. We're, we're, we're sons. Father, thank you, Father.
1: Yeah.
0: Very different to that Old Testament thing. Where you mustn't do that, you mustn't do this. And no, no. The new covenant, Jesus has established a new covenant. Mm. And we need to be absolutely new covenant people. We live in this new place. Okay? So that's a very important truth. I'm sorry, I've just noticed from my watch how late I've got. Uh, i um, will just. I think we probably need to close, don't we? <laughs> don't think <take>
1: anyone minds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're just. We're just going to close. Okay. I hadn't realised that. How long have I gone on? Let's just draw near to God. Where we stand? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you pray for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's
0: mm-hmm. just.